Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Making a Scene. My name's John Jufre. Thank you for joining me today. Making a Scene, if you're new, is a podcast where every episode I dive in deep with a unique creative person, an unorthodox troublemaker, a one-of-a-kind character, and I find out what it is that's made them that way. I try to dive in deep. I go into their childhood, their life story, their unique life experience, ideas that they believe that maybe other people think are kind of crazy, or maybe it was something they learned along the way or a mentor they met. And I try to figure out what is it that has made them so unique, sort of given them a character or a role to play in life that no one else could play, even if they wanted to. And I try to figure out what that is and how that informs that sort of special sauce, that unique touch that they bring to their work. And then we follow that all the way to its conclusion, which is what kind of a scene do they want to make in their life, in their community, in their career, in the world. The show is brought to you today by Artworks. Artworks is a free group connecting freelancers, producers, creators, anyone who works in the event, marketing, or creative gig economy. We're trying to transcend that shit. The gig economy is fun. Anyone can do whatever they want, but we want to build a partnership economy. We want to build an economy where everyone can make amazing things and get paid very, very well. And, and be able to put those great things out into the world for people who truly care about them. And so what we're doing in Artworks is we are connecting people who work in the industry, like I said, freelancers, producers, what have you, and we are connecting them to each other so that we can do three things. One, hone our crafts and collaborate, get better at what it is we love to do. Two, improve and jumpstart and further our careers, learning career skills, raising our rates, getting connections to that dream client and figuring out how to approach them. And then third, we post a lot of spicy memes. So get your ass in the group if you wanna see some spicy memes and get your shit to the next level. You can check out the link below or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash artworks group, A-R-T-W-O-R-K-S-G-R-O-U-P facebook.com slash group slash artworks group. And enough of that, on to today's guest. Today we have a comedian, an author, and a philosopher. His name is Brendan Lemon, and I've known him for quite a while. I've known him since 2016, and he, he was a good friend of mine back in Chicago. We met doing comedy together, producing events together. We recorded the podcast once before, and you know that file got corrupted, and it's sort of gone with the winds of time and I don't know how to get it back and it was quite a good episode so it's a shame and we sort of uh, trudge back over things that I talked to him about before that his point of view changed on some of it a bit he's evolved and developed and basically in this episode we're going to talk about his new book the power bible which James Altucher uh, a famous arch nemesis of Jerry Seinfeld as of late wrote the foreword to and that's uh it's really quite an impressive thing, and we go all the way from that to his roots, uh, writing books in, in college on philosophy, and, and then even before that, performing comedy in two different languages, English and French, since he was 14, performing in Detroit and Paris and Edinburgh, Scotland and Chicago, and now he finds himself in New York. Uh, it was truly an honor to get to reconnect with Brendan um, and I, I really think you'll find the conversation fascinating. So please do enjoy my conversation with Brendan Lemon. And if you want to follow up with him, you can check out the link below, above, to the side, wherever the fuck it is. And you can find Brendan on all of the things. He has his own podcast. He has an amazing book that you should read that James Altucher wrote the foreword to. And he has a whole website full of goodies. And if you sign up for his email list, he'll send you his comedy special for free. And it's good shit. I've watched it. I've seen him do it live. It's all great. So go do that. But first, enjoy my interview with Brendan Lennon. Let's make a scene. How are you doing today, Brendan? Bonjour, John. Bonjour, Mick. <laughs> is it, is it, is it pronounced Lemon or is it, or is it Lemon? Oh, yeah, it's, it's Lemon, dude. You nailed it. I mean, it's, uh, it's spelled it's exactly like the fruit, man. Brendan Lemon. And uh, it's funny to me because when I'm I go on, it's this is, for some reason, this has especially happened lately when I'm going out on dates, is that uh, I've 
women have been like, Lemon, that's a cool last name. And I'm like, not when you're six. Like, it's the, <laughs> it's the worst. It's like, lemon it's nerd. Just, yeah, what is up, lemon head? Lemon, <laughs> lemon head guy? Or are you sour today, lemon? No wonder I had to become a comedian, man. It's just like, it was just too... You know what I mean? Like you can't say, especially I mean now you can't, especially can't say this now. But back then I'd be like, I'm gonna burn your house down. Like I was like a weird, I was an angry little kid. The teachers would be like, Why would you say something like that? I'm like, My last name is Lemon, dude. Give me a break. Like, <laughs> just chill. Let me chill out. <laughs> Jesus, dude. My so my last name's Jufre. I remember in uh, like sixth or seventh grade, we had like a reading class. And they were doing roll call on the first day. And my reading teacher is doing roll call. And she's like, is there a, a, is there a Jonathan Juice in the room? And I'm like, Juice. there are two Fs. What the fuck are you doing, lady? You can't teach me reading. And Jonathan Juice. <laughs> juice is actually pretty good. <laughs> that was my, no, that was my nickname for eight years, Johnny Juice. Johnny Juice. That's, a, that's actually, that's really good. I feel like Johnny Juice is a guy who like, knows every bouncer at a strip club like in the on the you know from from all the way at, as far north as boston but as far south as you know uh charleston johnny juice is in the house <laughs> if we went to the same high school your name your nickname was like lemon and mine was johnny juice so they would have made us sit together at lunch and called it like the lemon juice table or some shit. oh yeah i had a really good friend uh who i've unfortunately lost touch with over the years a guy named seth grass who's a musician and um we would always joke about creating a band called the lemon grass all natural entertainment solution <laughs> it's just so stupid it's so dumb Every once in a while, I'll meet a woman and we'll talk and she'll be like, my last name is uh, like Lime or like my last name is, you know, uh, same thing like Juice or whatever. And I'm like, we have to get married. Like, we have to get married and you have to hyphenate. Like, our, it's going to be Lemon Juice or like Lemon, yeah, like Lemon Squeeze or something. It's like so, so ridiculous. <laughs> that, man, the, then your kids would have it even better than you had it. They'd be, <laughs> what's up, Lemon Squeeze? Um, squeeze. Shut up. That's my actual name. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, last time it's nice spoke. to reconnect with you, by the way. I I always want to say to reconnect with you. The last time I think we hung out, you were doing another you're doing another show or podcast. I think you were working on, and uh, it's good to see that you still got this rolling because you headed back to the East Coast from Chicago, mm -hmm. and uh, and you're still making stuff happen. So that's pretty cool. Thank you, man. And, and honestly, like, I think when we recorded that, it was like 2016, 2017, and we were in Chicago. And, you know, like I said, up at the top, like we, we lost touch for a little bit. And I, I find you on Facebook and like, you've written three books and you're doing all kinds of other shit. You moved to New York. I'm like, Damn, oh, yeah. this, dude, this dude evolved. This is really yeah. cool. So, I'm right, yeah, I was, I was, I'm, right, I'm rolling. There's a lot moving around. I'm, um, so I'm actually in Austin, Texas right now. Oh, um, yeah, I'm down here doing some comedy, uh, you know, hanging out. I've got some friends down here. I think I might spend the winter down here because COVID is so uh, bad kind of in the north and in, in New York particularly. Um, you know, I mean, everything's shut down. It's a very weird time. But, uh, you know, it's warm in Texas all through the winter. It's, it, you know, it's warm. They got a lot of outdoor seating, lots of Lots of stuff going on outdoors, so it's really not that bad. In the winter, the coldest it gets is like 40. So <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, and as somebody from like, you know, Detroit, Michigan, I'm like 40 degrees. Geez, he, like, you might as well have your shorts on outside. I remember one day when I, I went to school at Grand Valley State University, which is in the, the Grand Valley in uh, West Michigan. I went there for one semester. It was winter semester in 2007, I want to say. I think it was 2007. And it was uh, awful. I mean, it was really bad. It was, uh, it was a bad, I think, actually, I think it was 06, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, whatever. It was a bad situation. It was not good. And it, uh, it, it was so cold all winter long. It was just a constant, like, wind, because it was a valley. So it was just constant wind. It was, like, the temperature was so low. I'm freezing. I bought an M65 field jacket, you know what I mean, from, like, the U.S. Jeez. military and with, like, Arctic insulation. And even then, I was cold walking around. It was, it was horrible. So one day, it got up 
to 32 degrees. It got up to freezing. <laughs> people were wearing like people were walking around classes wearing like t-shirts and like it just it's wow. so you get so used to it being so freaking cold all the time that by the time it gets back to like being warm you're like oh my god it's amazing yeah like yeah what is it freezing outside this is like a heat wave like <laughs> it was Dude, just wild like, that you're in uh you're in texas doing comedy that's that's very few places have kind of the opportunity to do that right now but we're, we're yeah, well, I mean, you know how Texas is. Uh, everything's bigger here, yeah. uh, including myopia. Like, people <laughs> just want to not believe that any COVID is going on. Austin's pretty cool, but that's taking it seriously. But if you get outside of the city of Austin, it's just – it's just. Uh, and Texas really is kind of a paradise, to be honest. It's, like, it's it's beautiful. It's warm. Um, you know, women here like, – apparently, at 16 years old, a common thing is for women to get fake boobs at 16 in Texas. So, it's like – damn. You know what I mean? I, uh, and you can, you, whatever, the listener can have whatever value judgments they want about that situation. But I just have to say that it changes. The culture is different. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting. My, so I moved back to Connecticut after I was done with Chicago, but just a few months ago, I moved down to, um, sort of an entrepreneur and musician co-living house thing in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's cool. I hear it's a cool town. Oh, it's great. I love it here. And, and all the, uh, all six of us or so we're, um, uh, we're going to be going to Austin in November. One of my clients is having a wedding on the 11th and, um, a bunch of my other clients are going to be in town like synchronously then, or they live there and plus ones and whatnot. So I'm trying to like put together a bit of an event. If you're still in Austin at the time, I'd love if, if you could come. What, what, what date? Cause I, I do have some comedy dates in the Midwest in mid to late November. And then I'm, back, and then I'm probably back to Austin. Yeah. First half November. Yeah. That might work, man. Mike, Mike could. Uh, I guess I gotta, you know, I, I have to be in, uh, physically in Michigan at a certain point for the uh, election because I'm, I'm actually registered to vote in my home County. Uh, and I gotta go back for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Paying taxes and, uh, and voting in Michigan. You know what I mean? Four more years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like whatever somebody's political affiliation is, uh, this is the most insane election of any of our lifetimes. You saw the headline this morning, right? He Dude, has Trump got he got COVID. Yeah, yeah right? you know what I mean. God has a very ironic sense of humor. He's like, going what, to. I think he's going to recover miraculously and thank hydroxychloroquine for healing him, and then everyone's head will explode, and no one will know what to do. Yeah, exactly. I was just, I started posting on Facebook. I'm like, can we just get light? Can we get light, concentrated light, put it in the body? Can we do that for him? Like, the light of the, light of the Lord, baby. Um, the, light, the light of the Lord. <laughs> We're just like, I, I mean, I mean, not to digress into like talking about politics and stuff. I'm blown away by the fact that there are so many, like my grandmother, she's a Baptist. She's been a Baptist her whole life. She's very religious and she's just like, Trump, he is, you know, he, the Lord has sent him to save us. And I'm like, this guy, this is the guy. You think this is the guy like, that, that the Lord has sent to save us? This guy. <laughs> He's digging kids out through the tunnels, man. You leave him alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> People yell at him a lot. You stop that. <laughs> man. Oh my God. That's I, so I funny. Like, Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely unsympathetic. I come from a really like blue collar area and I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to why a lot of people voted Trump and all that. Right. But it's like, at least in 2016, when you're like bullying Hillary Clinton, it's really funny because Hillary Clinton is like the devil. But when you're making fun of Joe Biden, it's like, yeah, come on, Joe? man. Why are you, why are you, everybody's mad at Grant. What did grandpa do wrong? It's just a bad strategy, you, man. It seems like a, it's just, that's actually a good point. I mean, like not to digress and talk about politics more, which I now the third time I've said that, but <laughs> it's like, it, it just it's a lot of the, the speculation that I thought was fascinating is people were like, you know, he's coming after Joe Biden being like, he's he's against he's against law and order. He won't have the law and order. Everything would be crazy. And you think like that doesn't apply to Joe Biden, man. Like he's a, no. like Democrats hate him because he's been too hard. Like yeah. he's been too law and order. And I just think I think that's kind of why it's falling apart for Trump. He's really a one trick pony. And for some reason, that trick worked once in four years ago. And I I. I don't think it's working out this time. Um, 
So, but that's okay. Let's stand by and let's stand down and stand by in this conversation. <laughs> I am I am standing by for the inevitable riots that will come from probably both sides anyway, no matter who wins. It'll be great. Oh, dude, it's going to be insane. Yeah, I have my musket. I'm ready to go. Um, <laughs> well, so last time we talked, um, one of the big kind of topics was how you began performing very young. And one of the things I, I want to like uncover with this show is like, there's so many podcasts where people try to talk about, you know, the, your tactics or your, your knowledge or whatever this shit is to, to just be better at doing stuff. And I feel like that misses the point in, in some ways where it's like, I feel like people's unique stories and experiences and ideas make them a character and then they can play a role that is unique for them. And, and there are kind of like three touchstones that I'm aware of with your story. And I'm wondering if you could kind of fill in the gaps there and the first is at some point you were you were you know young Brendan perhaps with no thoughts of doing comedy then you start performing at 16 and you move to fucking Paris and you're performing in two languages most comedians yeah. do that. and now after living in Chicago and New York you're putting out books where James Altucher is 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 writing the the foreword. Yeah, right the foreword yeah oh so it's like uh, what happened there yeah good uh so that's a pretty good yeah, that's a, those are actually, broadly speaking, I think you're pretty correct. Those are sort of the three movements. Um, I, so the first thing to say just for movement number one is I wanted to be a stand-up comic since I was a kid. Like, I, I remember I was, on a t, I was on a cable access TV show that my uncle, Joe Belaska, who was the founder and creator of Joey's Comedy Club in Detroit, Michigan, um, he was host of this, he had this cable access show, and he brought me on as the world's youngest comic and I was like five years old. And I, I told this joke, I might've said this the last time we were on the podcast. The joke I had was, um, why did the chicken or why did the chicken cross the road? And then he was like, why? And I'm like, to climb a tree. Like that was the, it just was so, it just was a real non sequitur. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, my punchlines haven't gotten much better in the subsequent night. Uh, what? No, I don't think they need to. At 20, 29 years. Uh, so I am, um, I definitely, I, it, it just was in my blood from like a young age. I had two uncles who did it. I really enjoyed it. I always enjoyed, I mean, my dad's just natural storyteller. He was, you know, my dad was, he was never, my dad wasn't a stand-up comic, but he was always hanging out with stand-up comics. He knew Tim Allen. He knew Dave Coulier. Um, he knew Mark Ridley from Ridley's Comedy Castle. He knew, you know, a lot of these guys from Detroit back in the comedy boom and, um, and met a ton of them and um hung out with a lot of them you know isn't really friends with them now necessarily but like was friends with them then and used to he was a real storyteller and a lot of them really liked spending time with my dad because he he's almost like it's kind of funny how people say there's like a comics comic well there's almost like a comics non-comic like my dad didn't try to run bits like he just would tell funny stories and people would just be on the ground like rolling around laughing and crying and stuff and a lot of people tried to push him into doing stand-up, but he just hates speaking to crowds. So he, he just really doesn't like it. So he um, he never did it. But that's kind of how I got involved in it to, to begin with. And I did, I, you know, I've done comedy. It's kind of been the most consistent part of my life. I started improv when I was 14. I did it for 14 years. Um, I stopped doing it because I mostly can't stand other improvisers. <laughs> Pretty bad, man. It's like, it's somebody, I'm, I'm hanging out here in Austin with my friend Isabel Herman. She's a comedian from LA who just moved out here. And she, uh, she said, um, the worst part about improv is having to share the stage with other assholes. And I was like, that's true. Yeah, it really, you're like, I'm the only, I want to be the only one. It's me. I'm the asshole. And you guys are all going to pay attention to me. And, uh, you know, she, she, so she pretty much hit the nail on the head there. And uh, that's what I did for quite a long time and in, in to, toured around doing improv in Michigan, mostly. Started doing stand-up at 16 at Ridley's Comedy Castle, did a lot of it at Joey's Comedy Club, uh, which by that time my uncle had sold and moved on from. And, uh, and, and did it overseas, like you said. So it's, it's interesting, John, because like, I got back to the States and kind of went through, I don't think we talked about this on the podcast last time. I went through a pretty bad depression after a, a family tragedy that took place in 2013. It took me about a year. It really took me about two years full stop to like get to the other side of it. It was pretty bad. I was like uh, homeless at one point. I was living in my truck in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and you know, the thing with comedy is like, if you, 
you know, you, you really need to make a solid move to do it professionally and to be super committed to it. And I think that I wasn't really, you know, graduating in college in 2009, I wasn't really, I had a bunch of student debt. I couldn't see how I was going to do any comedy and not make any money and pay my debt. I was living in Detroit and there wasn't a lot of great comedy going on in Detroit then. Um, I mean, there was, I, I sure I, I could have, I guess I can beat myself up in retrospect because I feel like I could have probably really committed to it. Um, but I think I was kind of in this weird place where I was like, I don't see what the benefit is. I don't really see how to do it. I, I obviously kept doing it, but I just wasn't really sure. And finally ended up moving to Chicago. And that's about just before you and I met was about 2014, 2015 is like when I really started doing a lot of it in Chicago and just came up with a whole lot of just really ambitious goals for myself. I was like, I'm going to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm going to record my own stand-up comedy special. It's going to be 30 minutes. I'm going to produce the whole thing. I'm going to like put it out online. I'm going to all this stuff. So I did all of it. And um, it's funny because you know, what do you do when you actually hit all the goals you have and like your life hasn't changed? Like, that's basically what I was like, oh shit, I'm still, you know, kid, still not making any money doing comedy. Like, st- I mean, I was making some money. Don't, don't get me wrong. I was working the road. I'm, you know, I'm doing Zanies in Old Town uh, next month. Like I've got, uh, you know, I have good comedy clubs that I've done and, and, and produced, you know, been on featured for people, open for people even headline some shows myself, like all that stuff is really go- good, but it's kind of weird because it's like, you're, you know, you're either 110% in it or you're not. And, uh, and, you know, I just couldn't really pay the bills doing it. So I kind of realized that I, and this is the movement that I'm in right now, which starts explaining kind of the books is that I was like, you know, in order for me to do the comedy, I really want to do, I'm going to have to live in New York full time. And I'm going to have to be able to focus 100% of my time on doing stand-up. And that I uh, knew would be challenging because quite frankly, unless you're famous, you're not really making any money. So how do I move to New York? How do I get enough time to, um, to start doing stand-up because I'm going to need to have some income. So, uh, you know, William Batit and I, I don't know if you remember him, Bill Batit the third, he's a comedian from, Chicago and he and I had sat down and really realized the same thing at the same time and and we both ended up saying okay well we're gonna try to have to network with people who we know are movers and shakers in New York if we're gonna move out there and what we decided to start doing was emailing one person a day who we thought would not reply to us we were just like we're just gonna email somebody every day both of us, and we're going to see if they ever get back to us. And so I started emailing a ton of different people, John Oliver, um, John Stewart, uh, Trevor Noah, um, just all kinds of famous comedians, famous people in New York. And, and some of them email you back and some of them just go, that's really cool. Take care. And that's the end of the email. And you're like, all right. But one of them got back to Bill and that was James Altucher. He emailed Bill back and uh, they had both been writers on the Quora platform. James really liked a lot of the stuff that Bill was writing. And um, Bill eventually flew out to do James Altucher's podcast. Um, and, uh, and then I headed out to New York after I did Edinburgh. Bill moved there. And I ended up um, uh, meeting James. We hung out at the Soho house in the meatpacking district. And really loved it. I mean, we hit it off. Turns out James is a comic. James really enjoys doing stand-up. He owns uh, Stand Up New York, classic New York comedy club. And, uh, and we really hit it off. We all got along very well. And what James was fascinated about, part of the reason he enjoyed doing stand-up was that stand-up comedy is almost like a perfect dojo for learning uh, the science of frame control, which is like social dynamics. It's like, how do you who controls a frame? How do you lead an audience? How do you negotiate with people? How do you win conversations that matter? That's what com- comedy is uh, at some level is you're on stage, you're forming a tribe, you're leading a tribe and you're shepherding people's consciousness from one place to a different place. And the way, where, where you're taking it hopefully is funny. You're resolving incongruities that exist in their brain. You're uncovering them using language. You're defining those things. And then you're resolving those incongruities by revealing that when they meet an incongruity, the, 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 the surprise that comes out of the data is, is uh, delightful rather than frightening. 
and that's causing people to laugh and you know and, and feel delight that's what comedy is i mean i, I know that that <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing better than trying to clinically break down what like humor is that you're like this is so funny what is it well you see john it's just resolving incongruities in somebody's brain using the language of of english to try to see the data and it's just i sound like such an asshole but like the that's but that's what it is i mean i the way that i described this on um another podcast recently is like from my perspective the essence of comedy is when you have a baby and you do peekaboo baby you're like i'm hiding my face the baby's like oh my god my somebody's gone where did they go and then you go like surprise it's me it's your, it's your dad <laughs> hello it's me i'm right here i'm not gone i'm just here and like that that's the essence of comedy it's there's an incongruity with the world and some expectation it could be good it could be bad and instead of it going bad it goes well that's that's what's funny you know what i mean um so uh so that that's kind of what we decided to do when we wrote this book about frame control was bill and i talk about this stuff all the time and is that the um, power bible that's the power bible yeah that's the most recent book um and i'll go back and talk about my other books first uh in a moment but just the uh, the power bible kind of came out of a series of conversations that bill and i uh would have with james like we would constantly what would happen is we'd hang out we'd be having a good time we'd laugh we'd make jokes we'd we'd be really funny together and then james eventually would start we would start talking about either he would bring it up or we would bring it up or somebody bring it up we'd start talking about relationships or negotiations or interpersonal conversations that we were having and we would just get into this analysis of like who's saying what, why are they saying it? Where is it coming from? How do you, how do you play this situation in one way or another? You know, James was going through a pretty bad breakup when this was all going on. Now, he was also dealing with like a really serious um, falling apart of a business relationship. So he, he was having some serious issues and then Bill and I were navigating all kinds of other things on, on our side. And so Bill and I would talk about this all the time. We finally decided, you know what, let's, let's sit down and put pen to paper and actually make a book. So uh, so we created the Power Bible basically as a guide that we wish we had, you know, 10 years ago uh, to handle conversations that matter either in business or in your personal life. And, um, and really with yourself. I mean, ultimately, you, your own life is a conversation between you and yourself in many ways. And that 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 gets skipped over a lot in any kind of other books that talk about like negotiation or self-help or et cetera. So um, James loved it. When we gave him the book, he was over the moon about it. He read it cover to cover twice, um, which is really pretty, that's a quite a compliment. And he wanted to write the forward for it before he published it. So he went ahead, he went ahead and did that. Yeah. So um, just to answer your question, though, John, uh, about sort of my the third phase that you outlined, uh, and I know I'm like rambling a lot, yeah, here, but it. like the, <laughs> the concept, though, is that I kind of decided I was like, I need to start producing things that can sell outside of me just working for money. Like my time is going to have to be spent doing comedy, which is a great investment, but an activity that requires a lot of time and uh, doesn't have a reward for, for a while. Um, so I, I basically sat down and came up with a series of different things that I knew that I could do, like create online courses, create books, create just different things. And the, the moving them uh, into being a product, the creating of them was secondary almost to is there a market for it or am I going to find a way to sell it? Or I'm, I just was like, I don't give a shit. I just need to produce something and I'll figure that second part out later. I think that like, you got to start somewhere. And the way that I've always done this with comedy and with other things in life is I'm just going to go at it with a hundred percent. Like I'm going to get on stage and hit the wall with bad jokes in order <laughs> to find where a good one is. Um, you know, I'll just eat a bag of dicks in front of the audience and yeah. get punched in the face a lot until I find something good. And the same thing is true with these books. So this is now the uh, fourth book that I've written. It's the third that I've published. Uh, fourth book that I've written, pardon me, intending to produce something. I've written actually a lot more than that in my life, but just haven't, of this project, this is now the fourth one, but it's the third one published and it's the first one. I spent two years writing this book with Bill and really, I mean, we are serious about it. 
and trying to get it out there. So the audiobook will be coming out soon, read by William Petit and myself. Uh, we recorded that professionally in a studio in New York. Um, you know, we worked our, our butts off making this book happen. And uh, it's really quite good. People, everybody who's read it has liked it. The Power Bible will help you with your life. You know, go check it out on, um, you know, on, on Amazon and, uh, and, and get the first chapter of the book, of, which is available. Or listen to the five-minute audio sample and you'll be pretty hooked. It's pretty good. I'm definitely picking one up, man. Uh, I've been, been kind of nerding out over some, some like Robert Greene and some, uh, uh, some like David Daita. Uh, like way of the superior man kind of shit and and this is right up that that alley and man i i'm I'm actually really uh, the fact that james read it twice and then wanted to write the yeah. forward i'm like that dude is spending all, like he wrote 20 books and <laughs> he made 20 i'm like he has no time to read his own books and he read yours oh yeah twice let alone that. yeah that's really cool he um yeah it's a real honor to have him do that um he you know, I mean, he's the best. He actually, here's the real rub, John, is that he, his new book that he's publishing coming out in February of 2021 is called Skip the Line. It's a really big deal. He's been working on this book for a few years. It's uh, kind of the sequel to the book, Choose Yourself, and which was his major bestseller. And this, he's really aiming to have this one be a bestseller. And he liked our book so much. He asked us to put a chapter of our book in his book because he was like, I want to put a chapter of your book in my book, because wow. this is how important I think what you guys are talking about is. So, that, which, which chapter, I mean, like, if you don't mind my asking, uh, I think it's a supplemental chapter. It's in the appendix of the book, and um, which I mean is just uh, unbelievable. Like the fact that he asked us to do that, and uh, that's a huge compliment. And I mean, nothing about. I just want to be clear about this. Like, the power of the Bible is not funny. Like it is, it's like, I find it weird to do something in my life. I do a lot of things in my life that aren't funny. One of them is comedy, but I, I, uh, I do a lot of, uh, do a lot of things in my life that aren't funny. And I find it weird because I feel like everything I have to do should be funny. Like it has to be funny, but, uh, the power Bible is pretty serious. We do have some laughs in it and stuff, but it's mostly just a meditation on, you know, how, how to win conversations that matter and how to kind of, how to, how to, create the sort of emotional intellectual space that you need to operate sort of your best life um and that's neither of those things are really on the book jacket that's just me coming off the top of my dome well that's interesting i can first off very much relate to like uh if i'm not being funny if people aren't laughing every 15 seconds i'm i'm making a terrible mistake it's like you're doing the accounting for your business why the like what are you doing like calm down um (laughs) and it's like I feel like one of the things that gets people into comedy in the first place is we have this character trait where it's like, you cannot shut the fuck up or you cannot stop thinking weird thoughts or whatever it is, right? Or you you need attention, whatever that trait is, it might be different for different comics, but it's like, that's a trait that normally doesn't fit in. Normally it'd get you in trouble. And it's like, but if you learn to leverage that weakness into a strength well now you're a good comedian in a way well it's you know here's what it is like if you're worried about being funny all the time and then you can like be like okay well now i'm gonna take that and do the opposite and go back into a serious place and find a way to be serious knowing what could be funny i I feel like that's equally as beneficial in the opposite direction you know well you know it's funny because whitney cummings has said that comedians are people who are obsessed with justice and i think that there's Mm -hmm. something true about that where it's like you you walk around in the world in a way where you feel like you've been kind of bizarrely wronged. And the other thing that, and, and like, I can't explain why, like, and maybe it was because my last name is Lemon and at six years old, I was made fun of for no reason. You know what I mean? At least 50% like, of it. Like, what the fuck? I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Um, I think that that's part of it. I do remember as a child feeling depressed a lot, which is weird for a six year old to like, I think people, people would ask me like, Oh, how's your day going? And I'd be like, dismal. Like people, <laughs> It was just, I was not the most exciting, you know, toddler. Um, but, uh, but I think that one of the other things is there's a most, what I notice about most comics, and I certainly notice this about myself, is that um, there are kind of two types of people in the world. And this is true with um, the Myers-Briggs. Uh, there, are, there are two types of people in the world, um, uh, monsters and Biden supporters. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there are there are two types of people in the world. I'm sorry, I couldn't. I had to. Get this guy out of here, please. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. 
<laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Uh, the um, but the Myers Briggs talks about that the, the the largest percentage of people by personality type is what the MBTI calls uh, sentinels, and these are people who um, have kind of a shallow affect. They um they don't really think or feel too deeply about anything. Right. They they're not bad people, and they're not um they're not like wrong, but they just sure they don't are. have. Yeah, sure they are. Of course they are. Yeah. But they don't have, you know, th this is the kind of person who gets blown away by the thought of like, dude, it's like amazing when you think about it, like everything is kind of just like numbers, right? And like, that's a huge, you're like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, yeah, it's just like crazy. It's like everything is like numbers. Like what? Like, I don't, uh, what? You know, we're like, oh, or do you ever think, oh, so hold on, dude, though, John, like, hold on a second. I gotta, I gotta ask you this. Do you ever think like maybe the color that you see as blue is like the color that like I see as red? Isn't that crazy? Like that kind of stuff where you're like, all right, dude, I had that thought when I was like 12. Yeah. You know what I mean? And was like, I, like, I don't know what to do. So my whole life, the problem is that like, I've always thought people are just like me. They're, you know, they think really deeply and seriously and they feel really deeply about certain things. But turns out, according to the MBTI, like 40% of all people just don't have any of that going on. 40 to 60%, depending on the personality type you're talking about. So the reason I mention that is because uh, they're, you know, comedians tend to be people who are interested in following the rabbit hole down to uncomfortable places it, where no matter where it goes so it's like i'm I, you know i want like a good example is i've been obsessed with thinking about jeffrey epstein lately like i can't stop thinking or talking about this guy because it's like i mean i know he's i know he's i know he's dead i know he killed himself uh but but it, like, look let's not talk about suicide victims that way brandon that's very <laughs> yeah, very insensitive yeah, right? i don't think COVID. we are yeah, yeah i was gonna say i don't think we are talking about a suicide victim <laughs> so so anyway the <laughs> But the point of me talking about this is like, so, you know, this is going to sound weird to the audience, but part of the reason I'm, I'm fascinated by it is because, so Jeffrey Epstein is setting up this like weird ass, you know, breeding program with like girls who are 16, between 16 and like 19 or something. Didn't he like and, only um, abduct girls who had like really good grades and shit? Yeah. And like were attractive and like all kinds of, and so it's like weird because they're, they're, they're showing um actually you might be related to what andrea gaffray or whatever yeah um, i you know never say jeffrey epstein didn't do anything for me people don't say i'm john juice anymore they're like oh you're john Jufray. you rape kids i'm like oh got half uh, of them, right not telling you which half just kidding it's first half yeah <laughs> so it's like it, it but the, the the point of me bringing this up is like i'm fascinated by this because it's like jeffrey epstein didn't do anything that like genghis khan didn't also do you know right. what I mean? Like he did like, and I'm not saying that either one is good or right, but like the point is, is like people are reacting like they're like, isn't it so fucked up that like he did this? And in my head, I'm like, no, it's what's fucked up is that we think it's fucked up. Like that's like, that's the norm. Like if civilization didn't exist, I wrote this punchline the other day. Uh, civilization is the me too movement. A state of nature without civilization is just me too. Like it's the whole thing is that we added so, a hashtag yeah yeah right it's like yeah we added a hashtag and it be, and that's good like i it's good just to be clear it's 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 that you know jeffrey epstein should be brought to justice he should not exist he's not a good dude what he's doing is not good and it's not okay but it's not weird like it's the weird part is that we think it's weird and like that's right. the and I, I know that the reason i'm like saying all this shit around like trying to be clear about it is because that's an uncomfortable bizarre series of thoughts to have and and vocalize and i'm a i'm aware of that but the only reason that it's strange is because other people just go "Ooh, this feels uncomfortable better not go there and instead me as a comic goes this is uncomfortable better continue going in this direction and also talking about it like <laughs> making yeah. other people feel uncomfortable like that's I think that I think that all comics just to drive the point home and make sure that this horse is dead from a beating is um <laughs> is that I think that comedians are obsessed with that kind of thing which is like this it feels strange and uncomfortable better double down you know right. like this can't go well better continue to double down into it 
No, exactly. I had one of those stupid, so uh, context of this story, uh, a bunch of my friends and I went and did acid at Myrtle Beach. Uh, nice. Don't recommend. The clouds turned into demons for many an hour and the circus <laughs> wheel was not moving, but it was. And, um, or Ferris wheel rather. And um, for some reason, I, I had a really dumb sentinel thought like you just described where I'm like, on like a spiritual level, what's like the difference in moral worth between me and Jeffrey Epstein? And then the dude I was tripping with was like, you, you don't rape kids. <laughs> like, yeah, you're oh, not, yeah. You're not, yeah, yeah, dude, you're not trafficking. Like, and you're like oh, that's right. That's right. Like, oh, yeah. But my I friend, done, when he heard me mention that, we went to get pizza. Okay. We went to, we were all hungry. We got a pizza. And he thought that the pizza, instead of having pepperoni on it, had like, body parts of children because I, I had said Jeffrey Epstein and they were transported to hell. They're like, oh, we're not at Myrtle Beach. We're on Little St. James Island. And that's not a pizza place. That is Jeffrey Epstein's temple. And they just came out with its pizza gate. And oh my they God, this is terrifying. covered in body parts. And I'm like, oh man, that's a bad trip. I'm eating this pizza though. Yeah, this is, uh, this trip is fucked up, but I am really hungry. So I'm just going to keep, uh, I'm just going to keep eating these body parts. <laughs> I just, I, I think the only way I can talk about it on stage is not by talking about Jeffrey Epstein, but talking about Jeffrey Epstein. I think that <laughs> I may have to do that. I may have to be up on stage and be like, do you guys, can you believe the news about Jeffrey Epstein? People will be like, what? Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. He's a, uh, you know what I mean? He's Carly Rae Jepsen's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, but. Um, so yeah, man, that's how those are just to, to really wrap up and bring back is that was basically, those are the, how I, you know, how I, um, sort of went through those four kind of different movements, uh, or three different movements kind of in my life. So I've been doing a lot of writing lately, publishing a bunch of books, mostly on comedy, some, a little bit on sales, which is what my day job has been in. Um, you know, and then the power Bible, which is I'm most, I'm most proud of. Well, I, man, I love it. I love seeing that new kind of element kind of come out of you because it's like it's it's always awesome when people evolve and they're able to like you know they maybe they were doing stand-up and now they're doing movies or now they're writing books or something but it's even cooler when they're able to maintain the original craft while adding a second element to it so i i really admire like the work ethic to be able to do that um yeah thanks man i appreciate it i mean it's definitely a lot of work it's definitely it's not nothing. It's, uh, it's been a tremendous amount of work in a lot of ways. Um, you know, having to get it, I mean, it's two years that it took us to do that book. It was originally 600 pages almost, and we cut it down to 200 and I think it's about 225 pages now. So it's Damn. like, uh, yeah, was, we cut a lot out of it, which is why everything in there is just so dense. And so that's what James liked about this. He was like, dude, this is so effective and practical. Um, and I got to hand it to, you know, Bill Petit, my co-author, he's very good at coming up with a lot of practical stuff, lots of ideas. And then I think the two of us working together, were able to cut a lot of it down. That's amazing. I want to get into the books and, and the writing process in, in just a sec, but I want to circle back. Uh, you mentioned like the comedians, non-comedian and, and, and your dad. And that reminded me of my dad because I, I, uh, you started improv when you were 14 14 yeah. stand up when you were 16 right yep I also started stand up when I was 16 and I didn't have a driver's license I couldn't drive and the venues were all 21 plus right so I couldn't get in on my own so my dad had to take me and my dad had his one spot at the Joker's Wild Comedy Club every Wednesday night for the open mic it was third stool from the left over straight looking down at the stage that was big Tom's fucking stool no one was taking it someone else was sitting at it the bouncer was like hey look Big Tom wants a seat. Okay, get, get out of here. Big Tommy Juice. Tommy Juice. Big Tommy Juice um, Big Tommy Lemon Juices. Um, <laughs> he would, like, he watched me hone the perfect five minutes negating all of his efforts at life over the span of a year and a half, just mocking him relentlessly. And it wasn't because I didn't like the guy. It's just I was 16, and that's what I knew. And he was such a good sport about it. And like, I remember the other 
like he would watch not only that, but he would watch all the other comedians every single week. Same, you know, people have new jokes and whatnot, but they're working on the same act for oh, yeah. a year. And so he would see the same joke 52 fucking times. And if he would still laugh, like comics would come up afterwards and be like, listen, old man, I don't know what's wrong with you, but if you're still laughing, uh, I know that this joke is good. So you're like the metric. And like, so they all loved him way more than they loved me. I was like some punk ass 16 year old. And he's like the cool old dude who's like hanging yeah. out. There was a, my dad was pretty similar because he, um, he really, it's not, how do I want to say it? It's like, it's, he just liked the aesthetic experience of being at a comedy club and like yeah. watching comedy. So it wasn't even that it was like, for most people, I think you tell them joke and it's either funny or not, it either hits them or it doesn't. But for him, it was like, he would love, if a joke was bad, he would love it. Like almost, he would be like, oh shit, here this comes. And he would, it was almost like him riding a roller coaster, except he didn't quite know where the roller, what, like what the roller coaster was going to do. But for him, just sitting there riding it was the fun part. It wasn't like, here comes the hill. He was just like, oh, it, I just love, I, anywhere this thing goes, I just enjoy it. And so it was like, he, I think he became such a good audience for, you know, when I say like a comedian's non you know, a, a comedian's non-comic. It was almost like he just, his enjoyment of everything they were doing, comedians just ate it up because it was like, that's why, like Dave Coulier, like really liked my dad. Dave Coulier from, from Full House, before he was famous, he really liked my dad because he would just laugh at anything he did. And like, so Dave Coulier would get off stage and my dad was, but he also wasn't, it's funny because, you know, as a comedian, you, if, you know, you also, very much feel like if somebody's bullshitting you you really really you're like I, I like it drives me nuts john to get off stage and i know i had a mediocre set like i know it was only like okay but people walk up and they're like hey man you did good and you're like fuck you no no i didn't <laughs> like <laughs> i did not like it was fine we but, all like, I know heard I, them lightly giggle yeah exactly don't I, yeah don't lie to me and uh i think my dad also just didn't he kind of was very chill with like if a comedian was like not trying to make anybody laugh, my dad like didn't need to, it wasn't about like, I'm laughing at you. He was just, <laughs> he was just there for a good time. And uh, I think that it sounds like your dad's a similar guy. Like they were cut from a similar cloth. Yeah. 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 I, I, I always love seeing that. Uh, that just kind of cool old dude is just like down for whatever. That's like a solid archetype. They're like, hey man, you're gonna say some fucked up shit. I'm gonna sit here drink beer about it. Why not? Cool. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. It was almost like nothing ever really gets on his nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so funny. He's pretty much chill with everything. He gave me the worst advice to my whole life once. Um, he, uh, my dad, he just constantly like I was thinking about after college. I had a degree in philosophy. I really wanted to do comedy, but like I said, it wasn't paying the bills, and I was so broke after college i didn't even have the money to buy the gas to drive to the comedy club to do to do comedy it was it was pretty pretty bad and um i remember asking him i'm like dad what do i do like do i focus on comedy do i try to go to i was thinking about going to law school maybe and taking the lsat which i'm glad i didn't do and i just like laid it out for him i'm like do i go to work do i try to move out of the state do i pursue in comedy do i try to move to new york like how do i what do, what do i do how do i make this work and my dad was like oh yeah you should think about that. I'm like, that's the advice. <laughs> I should think about my decisions. <laughs> Your advice is that I should consider my decisions. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what the that's fuck, man? Yeah. You should think about that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. He also has a way, he always says this, he goes, you know, things have a way of working out. And I was always like, well, not, for the people on United 93, like they, they, they're in a field in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you checked with them. Things didn't, they don't always work out, FYI. Like, <laughs> on your way off of this United Airlines flight, please fill out the short survey on if you feel things have worked out for you. Oh my God. It's like, uh, I, I mean, I know, you know, I appreciate what he means, you know, and it's like a decent bit of fatherly advice is like, hey, chill out. Things have a way of working out. But you know, I'm the kid who was like six years old and they were, and I'm like, D the day it's, I'm depressed. You know what I mean? Like I just, there's a existential level to life that has never quite escaped me. And, uh, and I always, you know, like 15 years old, I'd be like, 
having these conversations and I'd be like, what's, what's the purpose of living? You know what I mean? Like things like that. And my dad was just like, I, I don't know, dude, Fig- you gotta figure it out. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, so I'm actually, I'm interested to hear about the philosophy degree, but let's go back to the first thing I wanted to circle back to, which is writing these, well, you published three, uh, fourth exists somewhere on a, on a hard drive, maybe. I'm, I'm interested in how, A, why you specifically chose books over, you know, something like an info product that you had, you had mentioned before, affiliate marketing or whatever the hell. Why did yeah. you pick that? And then how did your experience with writing stand-up or, or in general, your life experience, philosophy degree, whatever, how did that prepare you to have kind of a unique approach to the book? Because it's very rare that, I mean, I know you, you, you've written a lot and this was the fourth book you've published, but like some people publish fucking 30 books and never get James Altucher to write the foreword, right? So it's yeah, like- Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair point. So, um, so I think that, I mean, I think that the process and trying to like refine what we had down to something that was extremely useful, I think is, and, th- and that was relevant to James's life. I think it's what, I mean, just to, just to deal with that piece of information first, because I think that he found a lot of conversations and things that we were doing together valuable, which is why he offered to write the foreword. So that was happenstance in the sense that, you know, it could have been the case that Bill and I just had nothing valuable to offer. And he probably would have, congratulated us on our book but might not have wanted to attach his own name to it um so i think that you know i mean look this is talking about like conversations that matter is something that like my co-author and i do all the time bill and i would do that anyway i think that we just had a lot of experience in it um you know breaking down you know especially relationship conversations in a very kind of granular way was something that we just had a lot of experience in but the kind of writing part in general, I, my degree, so I actually have a dual degree in philosophy and creative writing. So I wrote a lot and I had, um, my undergrad was a split. It was a double major. So I, I spent a lot of, I had additional classes in a lot of writing. So I was writing, um, every day I was writing a lot. My thesis, I graduated with honors. They published my thesis, um, and which is a, creative work of philosophy. It's completely insane. It's called Alexandronicus. You can go look it up. It's on Google. It's on Google Books. So technically the first time I got published was writing that that uh, book. Yeah, you can just look Alex, it up right now. Let me, A-L-E-X, what is it? Alex Andronicus, one word. All right, that's uh, a new tab. There it is, it's the first one. It's the, in the commons at the at Eastern Michigan University. Oh, there it is, comments. Yeah. E-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U slash honors slash 165. 610 downloads. Hey, man. You're doing yeah, how, how? Yeah, can you believe it? Why would, why would anybody read this thing? Like, it's, uh, it's completely nuts, John. And I, I would encourage you to go try to parse through it. It's dense. It's frustrating. It makes no sense. I, I have to interrupt. I'm sorry. Give me five seconds. I have a book here on my floor. My, uh, this is not, this one's not titled quite as, um, as decoratively as Alexandronicus, but he has another book in the works. I think it's called like, uh, Liberal Liberal Rex or some shit. But one of my roommates is a business, uh, designer. I work with him. His name's Garrett Daly and he's been on the show, uh, by this point, but he wrote, uh, this book, Master Self, uh, the first entry. And I'm looking through yours and yours starts with like a hymn or a song and his starts with a hymn. And I'm like, Oh, these, Oh yeah. That's so I'm funny. Connect you with him. Yeah, you should. Yeah. The song of Philip and then the song of Olympias. Like those are the first two things that the book opens up with. I mean, it's fucking insane, dude. It's an insane, like lyrical essay. And, uh, I can't believe they, I can't believe they published it. I can't believe they graduated me. Like I look back at it now and I'm like, this is madness. This is, it's a, like, <laughs> It, it feels like what somebody would, you know, create if they were on, you know, uh, fucking bath salts or something like, and we're like typing up at two in the morning, 
Like, well, so what the hell though? Because like most philosophy papers are fucking boring as a stack of bricks, and, and you're over here opening with like hymns to Olympias and stuff. Yeah, it's it's weird, man, because like they fall into two categories. So that's a good point, John. They fall into two categories: philosophy papers, which is one is either philosophy papers that are extremely boring, like on denoting by uh, Bertrand Russell, or they're extremely like insane and like they make no sense. Uh, like it sounds like somebody's rambling and they're complete madness and like that you could say Nietzsche maybe Sartre maybe Kierkegaard are all kind of fall into that category which is like what are they like I like if Kierkegaard's the night of like the movement of faith and like the night of faith and all that stuff that takes place in fear and trembling is like you read it at a certain point you're like was he on drugs when he wrote this sounds insane like he doesn't like is he even making any sense like it, it, so in that regard, it definitely is in the uh, latter rather than the former camp of philosophical merit. Uh, I don't know if it is philosophically meritable, to be honest. Like, I just wonder, maybe one day, it's been downloaded 600 times. So clearly, some people Nothing find here. it interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who the fuck is downloading it, dude, honestly. <laughs> 600 times. I'm, I'm sending that to my friend, man. That's cool. I'm going to share this. And the Power Bible. I'll, I will buy the power bible before you download the free philosophy book that's 900 pages of kierkegaard but do both <laughs> oh my gosh man uh yeah so that was i was yeah i was definitely writing a lot the process now and this is this might be helpful for your listeners is that i write i try to write every morning you know morning pages have you heard of morning pages like a real effective way to do it so if you're going to write comedy if you're going to write jokes if you're going to write books I mean, like I completed, James Altucher challenged me to a 30-day book um, challenge. He was like, write a book in 30 days. And I already had a, a book inside of me, which was um, in my ass. No, I'm kidding. Um, I already had a book inside of me that I was carrying around, and I knew I could do it. It the was spacious the, um, ass. Yeah, right? It's a huge. Well, you don't know how big or small the book it was. I'm just kidding. It was War and Peace. Um, so the book was the stoic salesperson because i i've done a lot of sales that's been my day job and stoicism has helped me keep an even keel during that process and so i basically within 30 days just banged that out by writing you know something like 1500 words a day and in the last few days just editing the, sh the shit out of that and you can do that if you get up two hours earlier whatever just get up two hours earlier and write in the morning for two hours just go write or 90 minutes or at least sit at your computer with the intention of writing for that amount of time and something you'll produce something and it'll probably be bad but then you'll do it again and it'll probably be better and then you'll do it again and it'll probably be better you know well that that was a big thing for me with uh, uh with the quarantine because it's like all right can't really go perform uh, what, are you, what are you gonna do, right? And it's like, well, I'd always wanted to integrate music. I've loved music for as long as I love comedy. And I'd always wanted to write songs, but I had this like mental block in my head where I'm like, I need to do like comedy songs, you know, like doing, you know, Tim Minchin, Bo Burnham kind of stuff. And I still want to do that and still uh, would love that, but I'd never like put down an effort to write actual music. And so I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm gonna do it. I'm going to fucking take us back to 2003 and do some emo white boy shit. And we're going to write pop punk music, hip hip hooray. Dude, that's and great. Probably, was probably, probably like great stuff. Song every two days, like in my yeah. journey. Like, they're probably mostly shit, but now after eight months of it, I'm like, okay, well, I wrote 80 of them and 10 of them are okay. Maybe I can yeah. fucking record those. Yeah, dude, fucking hits by Johnny Juice in the smoothies. <laughs> like, it's, it's, the, it's a great some Johnny great Juice in the lemon smoothies. <laughs> The, yeah, I mean, I think that for me, like what hit what what hit me with comedy and with a lot of the stuff like writing and is you just have to go do it. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, his book talks about how he realized that everything he wanted in life was just a series of reps. Like he was like, I just had to get enough reps in, and that's it. Is you're like, if you want to write a book, you just need to go fucking write. If you want to go. Uh, tell jokes if you want to be a comic you just need to go write jokes and you need to get on stage and tell them if you want to be a podcaster you got to make podcasts if you want to you know date women you got to go fucking talk to one eventually like you just 
there's a level of it's not going to go right the first time. And I think I think for for me, a big lesson from comedy has just been, look, shit is not going to go well, mostly, which means that you just need to do a lot of it. And then eventually you'll get over that hump. And some of those things will work out. You know, you make 100 phone calls, maybe one of them turns into a sale. That's fine. If you're if you're doing better than 1%, you're actually a great salesperson. That's that's just the truth. It's like, let's keep the baseline where it is. If you write a hundred jokes and one of them is really funny, then like you nailed it. That's right. it. And and if you need to tell four jokes a minute, then all you have to do is write 240 jokes and you have an hour worth of time. And if you need to do that, that actually means you need to write 24,000 jokes. And 24,000 jokes is just a matter of time in writing. That's it. It's a geometry problem. You know, like, so I, my goal was to try to figure out how can I make and sell how can I make stuff that's valuable that people will buy and want and like? And uh, I think, and I've done that because James Altucher loves it. People the book has nothing but five-star reviews right now. And, uh, and I mean, I'm sure sooner or later, someone will probably be threatened and be like one star or something like that. But right now it's all five-star reviews. People love it. James has talked about it. We've been on, I've been on two other podcasts, um, pretty prestigious podcasts. Productivity cast is coming up. Um, the James Altucher show, of course, uh, and, and a few others. And the goal was, look, I just want to make enough money to not have to worry about grinding a day job all the time so I can focus on doing comedy. I'm 34. It's about time that I do that. And, um, and that's a geometry problem. And I was able to hopefully solve that in a way that will, you know, will, will pay off in dividends. So Anyway, that's that's kind of to sum it all up. That's basically what it is. It's all just a math problem. I love that. I love that because it's just you know, you go to, go to practice, go to the gym, just keep just keep doing it, make a habit of it every day. That's 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 what you got to do. Um, so okay, so we kind of covered that first act, that second act, and we've gotten into some of that unique stuff you're bringing to your work. And I want to respect your time. So do you have like maybe ten minutes left? Uh, I have exactly 10 minutes left. Beautiful. Well, then in those 10 minutes, I think it's nine now. If we've we've gone over sort of where you came from and what makes you a unique character and then the unique stuff you're bringing to your work and how and why, what is, I guess to use the name of the show, what is the scene you want to make? What kind of, uh, what kind of role do you want to play in the world moving forward? What kind of work do you want to put out? What kind of impact do you want to have moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would like to, I think the next thing is to focus on audience building for me. Um, doing comedy during COVID is hard. Uh, I think that part of the reason this time has been difficult for me is because I haven't been able to do very much stand up. Um, I want to get back on stage, which I'm doing. I'm excited about that. And then I think developing an audience um, for things that I'm going to produce moving forward is kind of the next big thing. And that's eventually what I want to do is be putting out a lot of really cool, good. I mean, I'm still putting out good, cool, good content, but I want to cultivate winning over more people into that. And I think that's my next kind of big project and contribution is like by, by putting out good podcasts, good conversations, funny stuff, new books, other, other things like that, particularly sketches, jokes, you know, me on stage talking about stuff. I think that, that seems to be the next sort of thing for, for, for me to produce. I love that. And if you had to sort of like put one word on that, like if people kind of interacted with anything that you create or they interact with you or your content or, or they're, you know, they're gossiping about you, but only good things behind your back while you're not in the room. What's that sort of one <laughs> word that people should feel from interacting with you if you're doing your job right? Uh, boy, that's a good question. Um, What's the one thing I think they should feel uh, delighted? I hope um, that's. I feel like above anything else, that's what I'd like to have somebody walk away is feeling like delighted. And there's a really good, there's a really good phrase that um, I don't know if this is a. I don't know if I wanted this. Maybe by way of, uh, maybe by this phrase, I will explain how I want people to feel. Um, the the Queen Victoria had um, two back-to-back -back, uh, prime ministers. And one was, uh, I'm not gonna remember, it's not Mountbatten, 
it's uh, Mon, ah, whatever. I forget the first guy's name, but it started with an M. And uh, it was her first uh, prime minister. And she really liked him. And then the second was Benjamin Disrael, who's famous in British history. And uh, let's just say Mountbatten, but that's not what his name is. She was like, look, when Lord Mountbatten spoke to me, I was sure he was the smartest man in England. But when Benjamin Disraeli spoke to me, I was sure I was the smartest woman in England. And there's like something about that where I'm like, if you can make people feel better about themselves for having interacted with you, that's what I would like to do. I love that. Well, I definitely feel better having spoken to you for the last hour, hour five here. And it, it, it flew by, dude. It's a good talk. Absolutely, man. I can't wait for people to hear this. I think they're, they're going to get a lot out of it. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And I'm really happy to reconnect with you. And hopefully we can, we can, you know, keep in touch moving forward. Dude, completely. I'll, uh, I would love to, uh, I would love to see you when I'm in your area. And if, if I'm here while you're in Austin, we should definitely get together. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. And, and uh, I'm glad that you're still producing things and still podcasting and still, you know, hustling and, along with your, uh, your, your housemates <laughs> that you're living with. Thank you. I think it's great, John. I'm looking forward to seeing the next stuff you do, man. Thank you very much. And, and, and likewise, I'm definitely going to pick up that power Bible. Um, all right, well, let's, let's do the plugs. You can find Brendan Lemon, Lemon at brendanlemon.com. You can follow him on social media at what's your, what's the best place for people to find you? Ooh, uh, brendanlemon.com is pretty good. If you go sign up for my email list there, I mean, I release my podcast, The Madness Continues weekly, although COVID has kind of screwed that up for a minute. Um, we'll be returning to that. It'll come out weekly. I'll put it in my email. We'll talk about it. You can also get clips of me doing stand up there and uh, my online special, uh, Brandon Lemon is Unbookable, filmed right before Trump won the 2016 election. And I talk about it in the, in the show. So uh, you can get a lot of that stuff there. And that's probably the best place to follow me, I think. And then pick up the, the Power Bible on Amazon. We'll have the audiobook will be released soon also. So I'm very excited about that. And um, I'm going to go ahead and veto that, say fuck all that. Go get the Alexandronicus from commons.emich.edu slash honors slash 165. Go do that I can't that too. believe that's either. I cannot fucking believe it's on there. <laughs> <laughs> all right man thank you so much and everyone thank you for tuning in i'll see you in the post show notes roll thing all right bye-bye all right guys that was one hell of an episode thank you brendan so much for coming on and if you want to check him out remember go to brendanlemon.com get his free comedy special check out the power bible on amazon go listen to his podcast the madness continues he's up to all sorts of cool shit Go check it out. And please, if you are a freelancer, content producer, or any kind of creative person in the event, marketing, or general arts gig economy, please check out facebook.com slash groups slash artworks group. We're going to help you take your career, your craft, and your ability to find and share spicy memes on the internet to the next level. And if you're interested in seeing other projects that I'm up to, you can check out John Jufre, G-I-U-F-F-R-E, J-O-H-N-G-I-U-F-F-R-E.com. And all my other links are in the description down below. Until next time, bye-bye.